Marketing can be an incredible force for good. It can inspire and motivate and make our world more just, equitable, and inclusive. But too often, marketing perpetuates the status quo for a select few rather than disrupting it for the greater good of all. This show looks to change that. Join me, your host, Erica Mills Barnhart, as we usher in a new era of marketing, an era of marketing for good. One of the things that we talk a lot about on this podcast is inclusion and how can we make marketing more inclusive? Because historically, it has not been. Historically, we have been bombarded with images of, you know, especially in the realm of beauty, with images of white women, white people, blonde hair, blue eyed, very Eurocentric. And that's that's not our culture. That's not our society. It's not reflective. It does not represent the beautiful diversity of voices, perspectives, and bodies that really make up our society. And so I've been uh, heartened to see progress in this direction. And I'm joined today by Mita Malik, who, gosh, if you're interested in inclusive marketing, she is such a strong advocate, so consistent, so insightful. Definitely go check out her LinkedIn profile. It's just like a treasure trove of examples of what's working and sometimes what's not. But like Katie Storino of Mega Babe, who, you know, is such an advocate for all bodies are beautiful. She has this really wonderful way of bringing people into the conversation. And if somebody has maybe not met the mark, she doesn't, she never shames. It's always from a perspective of like, let's do better. I think we can do better. So she just has this wonderful, wonderful combination of deep insight, tons of expertise, her lived experience as a woman of color who has been in marketing for 15 plus years. And also she is just really practical as well. So she always pairs insight with action and practical tips. So we talk a lot about that as well. But I just, I I feel like she's such a special person in this space because of her combination of, you know, she, she, she doesn't hold any punches and yet they land softly, (laughs) they land softly. And I, anytime I get to share time with Mita, I'm learning that that is time really, really well spent. Um, I gain greater perspective. I always learn from her and I'm always inspired by her. She's really just truly wonderful. And I, uh, I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation and I'll be intrigued to see what you what you learn from her uh, and what you take away. I, I, I am so deeply hoping that the progress that we made during the pandemics, uh, the dual pandemics, will stick with us and that we, we, we truly are at a tipping point when it comes to inclusive marketing. One of the things Mita and I talk about is like our dream is that, you know, someday when you say marketing, in- inclusion will just be implied. We're not there yet. We have a long ways to go, but uh, thanks to people like Mita, uh, we're a lot closer than we ever have been. So enjoy, enjoy, enjoy my conversation with Mita Malik. Okay. I am very excited because with me today is Mita Malik. She is a corporate change maker with a track record of transforming businesses who gives innovative ideas a voice, so true, and serves customers and communities with purpose. She's currently head of inclusion, equity, and impact at Carta, 
really interesting job title. I want to talk about that. I don't know that I've ever seen that trio, inclusion, equity, and impact. She was formerly the head of inclusion and cross-cultural marketing at Unilever. She has loved marketing and storytelling since she was a little girl (laughs) and parlay that love into an extensive career as a marketer in the beauty and consumer product goods space. Mita is a LinkedIn top voice, a contributor for Entrepreneur, and her writing has been published in Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, and Business Insider. Luckily, luckily, luckily for us, Mita has channeled her considerable talent into making marketing way more inclusive. She is a powerhouse when it comes to representation and inclusive marketing and advocating for that. And I'm, I'm so glad that you are here with me today, Mita. Welcome. Oh, Erica, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Yeah. So on your LinkedIn profile, it says, I believe diversity of thought doesn't happen without diversity of representation. When you have all those points of views, life experiences, and cultural backgrounds coming together around a table, colliding, clashing, and collaborating, that's when magic happens. One, that is just beautifully written and a testament to your love of language and storytelling. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Thank you. Will you share a bit with us about how you ended up doing what you do? Gosh, well, it all starts from my childhood. I'm the proud daughter of Indian immigrant parents. My younger brother and I were born and raised here in the U.S. We were raised outside of Boston. And I was the funny-looking, dark-skinned girl with the long, funny-looking braid whose parents spoke funny English until it wasn't funny anymore. And that became the start of bullying for me. And I think the dark side of when you start to sow seeds of othering individuals, that person is crazy, different, strange, funny, weird, lazy, not very smart. And the things that we say casually that start to create a narrative of a person. And I was excluded by my peers every day. They let me know I didn't belong in that community. And so that was my upbringing. And then at the same time, I didn't grow up in the Instagram era. Wow, has it changed now? There's so many amazing black and brown role models out there, but I didn't have that. And so I always was like, why doesn't this work on my hair, my skin? Why don't I see individuals like me reflected? I can remember my mother concocting things in the kitchen for my skin or my hair or bringing things back from trips from India. And so I think if you know that about me, that's really what's driven me all my life is to make sure no one ever feels excluded. And I think in particular, when it comes to marketing and how we all want to be as marketers, surprising and delighting customers. Surprising and delighting, but also, and you talk about this in in the opening to your excellent uh, Harvard Business Review article titled Marketing Still Has a Colorism Problem about like, yes, we want to surprise and delight, but also there's this sort of like, but we're not going to go too far. We don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. And so can you talk about that, that like balance between kind of the powers that be and marketing as a, as a discipline. We talk a lot about this on the show. And I talk a lot about it when I teach at the university of Washington and when I teach marketing, it is white dominant, Mm -hmm. like the the people making decisions, myself included. So there always seems to be this burden on historically marginalized communities to prove the markets there, to prove that darker shades of foundation will sell to prove that somebody would buy this for this type of hair, to prove, to prove, to prove. 
And I think what's interesting now, Erica, about the time we're living in is the demographics from a U.S. perspective have rapidly changed so quickly. And if you look at Nielsen, which is one source, the multicultural consumer, as they coin it, there is over $3.2 trillion of spending power with that consumer. So what I would say to anybody listening who says they're struggling with growth, I'll convince you otherwise. You're not looking hard enough. You're not thinking about your products and services and who you're serving and why and who you're excluding and who you're not talking to. So I think it is tied to what my good friend DC Marshall, who's the CEO of Diverse and Engaged, calls the diversity tipping point of last year and what we see happened on top of the changing demographics of our country, on top of the pandemic we're living in, and on top of the other pandemic, which is the pandemic of racism, right? So you think all these things are building and building and building. And so all of a sudden there's there's an explosion and consumers are demanding, are demanding these things. And do you believe that we have tipped permanently? I believe we have. I'm a half glass full person. Me too. <laughs> my husband, my husband jokes, he's half glass empty, I'm half glass full. But it's always, I choose to do this work. I think you have to be half glass full. I think there's glimmers of hope. I don't want to think that we're going back. I want to think that it's like street sleep training my daughter. <laughs> I'm so intrigued by where you're going with this. Two steps <laughs> forward, 10 steps back. Two steps forward, right? It's sort of the back and forth pendulum, but eventually she will sleep by herself one day. I know she will. And so this is, I, I have this, it, it, it will happen. And there's so many amazing people doing the work and pushing for change that I know it'll happen. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about this article. Because uh, sure. colorism... So again, it was called Marketing Still Has a Colorism Problem, one of many articles that you've written. So I just, I find this one particularly relevant. First, will you explain what colorism is? Because I'm not sure all listeners will be familiar with that term. I mean, it's sort of intuitive, but anyway, I'd like to hear you speak to that. And then I want to talk about your recommendations, because one of the things that I really appreciate about your writing is it's practical. One, it's backed by research. So the academic in me works out on that. But (laughs) also it's really practical. So I want to come back to the recommendations, but first, um, what is colorism? It's a product of racism. It is discrimination towards individuals who have darker skin. And I have personally experienced that through most of my life. I wrote a piece for Cosmopolitan on what my life might be like if I was a lighter shade. Oh, interesting. And that is something that I have faced as an and a woman of South Asian descent and something that happens often in the South Asian community that we don't talk enough about. And so that I had personally experienced. And then I saw that coming, you know, as I started my career in marketing over and over again, like I talk about in this piece, wanting to hero um, a dark skinned woman for this beautiful campaign that I was working on early in my career. And the creative director would be like, we can't put someone so dark skinned for the campaign. Like we, we can't do that. And it's like, why not again? Why not? Right. Because it is colorism is also tied to the, the notion that there is only really ultimately one standard of beauty, which is Eurocentric, white, blonde, blue eyed, tall, thin, that, that that's the only one standard of beauty. And so that is, and that there's all that's tied to the history of our country and our world. And so that is colorism. 
Okay, thank you for that. I mean, I wish that we could have, you know, like we had video of that conversation with you being like, but, but why? But why? Because I just, I mean, I'm curious what he actually said, because I can't imagine any response that wouldn't be palatable today. Because the markets won't like it. The other markets mm-hmm. won't like it. It won't sell. The product won't sell. It was yeah. a very clear response. And that's not the only time that's happened in my career. The product will not sell. And here's what's interesting. Nielsen's done some research and study around this, is that when you have, when you lead with an insight for the Black consumer, and in particular, I would say Black women, you solve for many women of color. So as a woman who identifies as South Asian, as a Brown woman, I am first in line to use products that my Black girlfriends recommend. Because I know if it's working for their skin and their hair, it's going to work for me as well. And so the market actually becomes even larger if you think about it from that perspective. And yet we're still back to convince me, show me. I don't believe you. It's not going to sell. What do you think it's going to take for that question to go away? I think it's going to take more black and brown representation around tables whether it's as you're starting off as an associate product manager or marketing coordinator, all the way into the CMO position. And it's really interesting, Eric. I think we often talk about, from the marketing lens, we talk about the marketers in the organizations. It's a huge ecosystem. Agencies play a huge role, right? Because you're working at some of the largest sort of marketing organizations. They don't do the work alone. They are also working with agencies. (laughs) You don't. And so the agencies, and I know you talk about this in your in your class and communications and who else is at the table. And so I think, again, it's nothing for us without us. You can't be wanting to sell products authentically and serve a community without the voice of that community at the table in a meaningful way, and that you also allow for that voice to be heard. And I'm hearing you say meaningful start to finish. Meaningful start to finish and not tokenized, and not just one person, because guess what? I don't speak for all brown women. So that's also a burden. You bring me into the room. I've had that happen before. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, oh, Mita, is going to speak to all brown women. It's not <laughs> a monolith. going to solve this across the board. Yes. And so that's, no, it is every, you know, you think about from the time you write a brief, from the time you develop a product, from the time you are actually on set, who's behind the camera? Who's in front of the camera? If I'm talent and somebody says to me, well, your hair is too difficult to work with, or actually your skin's too dark. I don't have any foundations to match or any eyeshadows or blush that are going to work. That's, that's what you're talking about. It's the ecosystem. It's the ecosystem. It's the ecosystem. And that, that was one. So that was one of the recommendations that you made in this article Yes, is kind of be, be mindful of your ecosystem, really look at it. <laughs> Um, because also right there with the agency piece or, you know, consultants or, you know, whoever you bring in, because it's just easy to default to white people because we're so dominant, you know, within the space in the marketing industry. And so, you know, sort of like looking at your supply chain. Yes. Yes. This is not the sexiest work that one will do. (laughs) And we think of marketing as sort of external and just the product. Um, and so I just, I, I want to just underscore how important that recommendation is and looking at the whole ecosystem, the whole supply chain, the whole nine yards. And don't, and let me just add this, Erica, don't wait, do the work mm. now, 
start mm-hmm. to create diversity of representation when it comes to your list of marketing agencies you work with, right? The best in class, whatever roster you have, which I know many big companies have the same five agencies they go to. Mm-hmm. Start yes, now meeting mm-hmm. people. Don't try to retrofit when you decide, I actually want to extend this product line so it speaks to and can be in service of women with darker skin. Don't do it then. Do it from the start. When you start working, as we talked about, as you so generously read part of my LinkedIn section, it is that's where the magic of magic of innovation happens. So do that from the start. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think a lot about, and we talk a lot about when I teach my class. We talk a little bit about it on this podcast, but marketing also tends to attract people who are prone to perfectionism. Yes. And so I just want to say to listeners, like, do not let perfectionism get in the way of progress, even if it is incremental, even if it is one step in the right direction, you know, start now. Don't like the, this piece around don't wait. I think that I think that perfectionism gets in the way. Absolutely. And I think there's a bit about, and I can say this as a marketer, there's been moments where I've been arrogant because you say, but I'm supposed to know my consumer the best. Like I have all the insights I know. And Erica, you're coming in and telling me there might be colorism in this content I produced. No, I know. And then I'm admitting I don't know something. (laughs) And that's really difficult, right? Because all of a sudden, oh, wow, well, I guess I don't know my consumer as well as I thought I did. And someone else is questioning me. And so that's the vulnerability and growth piece. Well, and that's about culture. Yes. I mean, again, so much of marketing, like it would be super handy if it didn't have to do with organizational culture and organizational development and leadership and all the rest of these things, but it's actually very, very messy. And uh, I had Marlette um, Jackson and Aaron Dowell on the on the show a while back um, to talk about their article about woke washing your company won't do it. Yes. Just kind of like, you can't just smear, you know, I, I, the work I do with my clients. So, you know, I create powerful messaging for purpose-driven clients. Mainly what I'm working on is mission, vision, values, purpose statements. And then how do you flow those into things? Because when you're solid on those and you have a values filter, you know, it goes both ways. It goes internal into creating culture that lives into those. And then they make their way into external marketing. And it's really interesting to me how bifurcated that is and how we try to do this like cute end run. Where it's like, well, we, well, we're just going to update the website, but that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't have to do with culture. It's like, it has, you just, you can't smear a bunch of marketing on it. That's, that's not, that doesn't address the problem. Yeah. It's diversity washing, which we're talking about. Yeah. Washing, diversity washing. Absolutely. Yep. hundred percent. You had another very specific recommendation, which I want to talk about. So you say intentionally cast and feature dark skinned models and actors in your content and programming, measure the impact consistently and evaluate your progress on a quarterly and annual basis. Brands have the power to shatter stereotypes by moving beyond featuring only light skinned individuals. Say more about this. I I mean, so, so much of this as we're talking about, it comes, uh, you know, I think we have to acknowledge that holding on to power drives a lot of decision-making and this idea of casting sort of racially ambiguous feels models feel safer. Yeah. It makes us feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. What is it that makes us feel uncomfortable? We have to ask ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about, I think about myself as a little girl, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And so if I don't see people like me represented in media, in images, in marketing, in campaigns, where do we leave our younger generation, the generation of leaders who are rising? 
and who, you know, that's what we're doing all the work for is for them. That's what I believe. That's why I do this work for all of our yeah. children. And so that that's the question you have to ask yourselves is like racially ambiguous just feels more uncomfortable. We don't want to make anyone uncomfortable back to that point of like, oh, that's going to make people uncomfortable. No one's going to buy the product if we feature someone of a, of a darker skin. And that those are the conversations we're not having, Erica, which is why I wrote this piece, because I know these conversations happen. I've been in the room, but no one wants to talk about it. And so that's also about shattering stereotypes, shifting cultural narratives, making sure that you see people represented in different ways. That's what that's about. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about measurement, like measuring impact is tricky. So if I'm a company and I'm like, okay, we're going to start doing this thing, we're committed to it. What do you measure that truly reflects impact? Yeah. I mean, I think it's like you go back to the, it's the end to end inclusion ecosystem, like start with agencies, right? Start with who's sitting around the table, start with diversity of representation, not just on your own team, but also on the adjacent teams that are working with you. So it's the marketers, it's the agency, it's sales, it's finance. A lot of people touch marketing. It's the hub and spoke as we know. And so who else is involved in what you're creating, I think is really important to think about. And then I think measuring things also like products and services. I go back to, I'm a cosmetics beauty person, as you know, so I go back to that a lot. But I recently saw, and I, and I won't name the brand, a beauty brand on Instagram who featured a beautiful, beautiful shot of a very dark skinned woman. So I was like, wow, this, my heart sings, this speaks to me. I go and do some research, Erica. They don't sell darker skin foundations, eyeshadows, or blushes. Oh, wow. But they have a cosmetics line and they're featuring her with some sort of dewy look lip gloss. And I'm like, this is, so that is what I would call diversity dressing. It's like window dressing. Mm -hmm. So then you could go to the other end. You could read this piece and you can say, yes, practical tips. Now I'm going to really intentionally measure and feature dark skinned models. And then you don't actually have products and services that serve them. So you're like, wow, that's a problem. So, I mean, that, that, that concerns me so deeply because most folks aren't going to, to go do the research that you did. Yeah. It's diversity dressing, right? They're going to like, we're scrolling through Instagram yeah, and you're and like, yay, like nailed it. Beautiful. Yay. yay. I mean, I suppose that, you, that the research would be if you were really moved like by it and you went and tried to find products as a black or brown woman and you were like, wait, what? But how many, how many, how many, you know, will that aggregate to a point where there would be backlash? I think it will eventually. It will. It will eventually, because I think especially with the diversity tipping point, brands, marketers are under a lot of pressure and there are no quick fixes in this work. There are no quick fixes. The work takes time and it's the work that you do every single day. And I think Sephora, I give a lot of props to them for the progress they've made every single day since being accused of having a racist incident in their stores back in 2019. You look at them now, I'm like, but this is, listen, organizations are flawed. Brands are flawed because human beings are flawed and that's who runs them. And so we have to show ourselves, I think the same grace we would for people in our lives making mistakes, right? And that give them a chance to show that they can do better and be better. That's what I think. Uh, and so, but, but back to your measurement piece. So if you think about the ecosystem, 
that we talked about. There are so many places to measure. And in the article, as I reference um, some research, there was research done to actually watch to see after the diversity tipping point, were companies going to be actually featuring more darker skinned models? And we see a slip. We see a slip. It lasted for a little bit and then we see the slip. And so that's what we have to watch out for to make sure it's not performative and a check the box exercise. Yeah. That it actually sticks because the goal, I think the ultimate measure of impact is that when we say marketing in inclusive marketing is implied. Absolutely. It this shouldn't be, I right now we have, have to, to say, say inclusive marketing. marketing. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It should be. Yeah. It is one in the same. It should be one in the same. It should be. Yeah. But I don't know the words. <laughs> and then I think it's to prove there wrong you. that the, that the growth is there. The growth. Yeah. Is there, yeah. Yeah. Right. So I go back to the, again, my, my favorite beauty example, everybody is, is chasing with Fenty and sort of how they disrupted the entire marketplace two years ago. Oh my gosh, there's 40 plus shades, right? Darkest skin tones. And then it's like, yeah, but I want lipstick and I want eyeshadow and I want blush. Like, why are we stopping with that? And of course, Fenty's gone beyond that, but that's been sort of the check the box for brands. And there's growth to be had because if you're going to, if you're going to sell me the foundation, which I'm going to buy, I need the whole look, Erica. I need the whole look. Yes, exactly. Sell me all of it. Sell me all of it. Who else is getting it right? What other brands are getting it right? Oh my gosh. Um, There is a brand recently I profiled on LinkedIn called Kulfi. It's a South Asian brand um, started by a founder of South Asian descent. And she's really, again, trying to fight colorism and also trying to create a beauty line that's inclusive. So I think that's, there's so many I mean, there's just so many examples out there. I think Sephora, if we, so let me, let me step back. If you go on Instagram, you will find so many brands getting it right. And a lot of them are black and brown founders who have seen where the gaps are in the market. And they say, I'm going to disrupt this industry. So that is what you're seeing happening. And then you're seeing really big players having to say, okay, now I have to retrofit or now I have to really get this right. So Sephora, yay. Target, yay as well. And I spend way too much money at Target, but Target really, I mean, you look at what Target's doing with their accelerator program and supporting black and brown founders, Mm -hmm, bringing them in mm -hmm. so that they can understand how they can get their products retail ready. Like a big kudos to them. And then another uh, brand that I've been watching is Hallmark, Hallmark Cards. Really? And they <laughs> did not see that coming. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give you different examples. They created a whole line. Um, black writers writing for black community, our black friends and our black colleagues who need healing. And so how can you express that in the form of a greeting card and how you oh, express it sweet. is with the insight of nothing for us without us. And so having black writers and designers behind that line is so meaningful. So I'm like, I, again, half glass full, I think there's a lot of positive momentum in the market. And again, inclusion is a driver of growth. There is growth to be had when you start to problem solve and think about what are all the gaps in the market that have never been addressed? Yeah. I I love how uh, glass half full you are. (laughs) 
tell my husband. I mean, people, well, people ask me, you know, like, how do you keep doing this work? Cause uh, you know, I, I work to apply marketing so that it's, you know, eradicating extreme global poverty and, you know, feeding hungry kids. And like, these are not light little topics. Um, they're heavy. And what I, you know, I'm like, because I, I think we can, like, I, I, I believe that we can solve these intractable issues or I would not keep doing it. We just have to double and triple down and that takes a certain amount of internal fortitude, but also, I mean, one of the reasons I get worked up um, and, and why I love teaching so much is because I see the, the things that my students dream up yes. and come up with. I mean, you were so generous. You came and joined the marketing class oh, thank and you they for having loved me. it. Oh, it was so fun. And like, they they just, they blow my mind all the time, every time um, they like it you know, that, that, that generation is, uh, amazing. And I don't know, I just, w- whenever I get a little, like mm, the world is kind of going to hell in a handbasket. I just, I literally go back and I look at some of my students, but work. that's what we said. It's for the next generation. It's for the yeah. rising leaders that we do this work for. And yeah, totally. Okay. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. Sure. And talk about how you're using LinkedIn as a platform to advocate for representation and inclusion. So you are super active you're constantly putting out like this amazing content every single time. I'm like, again and again and again, and you do it all yourself and you have this (laughs) big job at Carta and you have these two beautiful and young kids. And, and, and so, so I have like a super practical question, which is like, what's the mechanics behind that? Sure. And are are you on other social media platforms as actively or did, were you like, I'm all in on LinkedIn? So here's my secret. Are you ready? Grab a pen and a piece of paper. I stopped drinking and I stopped binging Netflix. And then all of a sudden you've got time. And I say that tongue in cheek, (laughs) but I also say for the things that matter, for the things that you want to work on in your life. And I think these last 16 months have given us as we've all gone through a lot of grief and loss, it's like, what matters? And it's like, I want to use my power of storytelling to share the stories of others and like the amazing things that are happening in the world. And as you see, I'm not in the business of indicting brands. I will use my own personal experiences, but I want to shed positivity and practical. Okay. So what are we going to do about it now? Like, yeah, you know yeah. that there's this problem. So what can you personally do about it? And my, I think one of the biggest compliments I've gotten is people reaching out to me saying, who's your social media agency. And I'll I say, did that. You did, I that. did that. You I were one that. of three people who's done that. And I was like, wow, maybe I could make a living off this, but it is me, myself and I, um, that's who it is. And it's pretty easy. I stopped reading books in this pandemic. I actually stopped reading books when I had kids, to be honest. I don't have time. I started reading what they read, right? Yeah. So I, I recently um, have been reading Stamped for Kids with my son, oh, who's eight, yeah. and uh, my grownups, which with my daughter, and I had posted about that this week. So I try to read things that we can read together, but otherwise, I'm reading a lot of short form. And I, just post on things that I'm reading. And I try to post four to five times a week. I don't post on the weekends and I post when I have something meaningful to say. And if I skip a day, I skip a day. It doesn't matter. I'm not doing it for anything, but I want to share what I'm learning. And Mm -hmm. I'm also now really focused on watching black and brown founders, founders from historically marginalized communities who are solving some of the biggest problems and also some of the problems in our lives that you're like, wow, I never thought about this. I just met with a founder this morning, a co-founder who started West meets East. I'm going to butcher this. West X East, like West by East. I guess how she does it. 
now I'm butchering. Some direction by another direction. Yes. And then- she said it was like South by Southwest. So the branding I want to get right is like West by East, right? West yeah. X East. And it is all about customized Indian apparel. So for anyone of Indian descent who's either gotten married or had to go to a wedding and having to go back to India or or find somewhere in the US where you can find an outfit that you like and get it tailored and customized is an enormous hassle and usually ends up in lots of tears and a colossal failure. But she has created, she and her co-founder, this amazing business where you can actually get customized outfits, one-on-one consulting and tailoring. And it's just phenomenal. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like, I just feel like there's so much goodness in the world and people doing such great things. So that's what I use back to LinkedIn. That's what I like to use my platform as well for. So I just interviewed Guy Kawasaki for the show. Yes. Um, who a lot of social media, all <laughs> social media all the time, not all the time. I'm kidding, but you know, he has a massive presence and he's on all the, you know, he's on all, all the platforms. And I, I said, how, like my, one of my questions to him was how does he decide what to post? Yes. And I, I'm paraphrasing what he said, because I don't remember it, but he basically said he didn't want his grandchildren to ever wonder where he stood on things. He was like, I don't even want them to have to a- ask me. They should wow. know. Wow. And I thought that is such a powerful filter, like very clear, you know, and he's like, you know, he's, he also is going to post on, you know, entrepreneurship and technology, of course, sure. and all these yeah. things, but he actually has somebody. So what he said was when you see posts, like he is very pro-vaccine, very anti-anti-vaxxers, like he's, and, you know, he is clear about his political views and, you know, him surfing, any, anything that's him yes. posting. And then he has somebody mm-hmm. who posts on sort of, you know, the other topical content areas, um, that he's known for design technology and whatnot. So he has sort of a divide and conquer approach, but I thought, well, I feel like one of the things that, that, that I hear leaders struggle with in terms of how to handle social media, yes. like one, there's just so much angst and consternation, right? Like, should I be on there? Do I have to be on there? And I'm sort of like, if it doesn't feel good to you, don't do it. No, don't do don't it. Do it. I enjoy it. it. I enjoy it a lot. You asked me that question earlier. LinkedIn is my primary platform. I have a public Instagram account. I have Twitter. Twitter scares me, so I'm not really on it. Um, Facebook. Why does it scare you? I find that people are less friendly on Twitter than LinkedIn. Although LinkedIn, LinkedIn has gotten LinkedIn. I'll give LinkedIn props when there has been hate speech on my posts that gets removed pretty quickly. But I find LinkedIn to be, as my friend Callie Schweitzer would say, who um, is now um, one of the creator program leads there, is that it's a platform of generosity. Like I find it mm. to be a very generous platform. And so that's the approach I take. But you should not do it if you don't enjoy it. I enjoy it. I look at it from, if I learn something, I want to share this with other people. Yeah. That's my filter. Yeah. Or if I'm struggling with something, I want to share with my community that I'm struggling. And I, as a working mother, which I know we've talked about, I feel really strongly not to pretend that it's really easy and everything's going to be okay. And every day I wake up with, yes, all this energy, like, no, that's not it. And so I don't want to, I want to let people know that like, yeah, it's possible to have a successful career and to be an amazing wife and mother, but it's also a struggle. And so I want to be, I'm very open on that, as you know. Yes. Yes. Well, I think it is one of the, the gifts of the, of the pandemic of the multiple pandemics that we're living through is like, 
we used to be, if you wanted to, you used to be able to be like, my private life is entirely my private life. But when you're, you know, like for me, you know, I have a 13 and a 16 year old and, um, despite my best efforts, you know, they, like they're going to pop into the screen and be like, mom, I can't find the peanut butter. I'm like, it's exactly, it's exactly where the peanut butter always yes, is. It's yes. in the same spot in the fridge. Yes. Did you, did you look for the peanut butter there? And it's like, that's my life, you know? And I, you know, I love being a mom. Um, but we I, shouldn't I have to hide it. That's the soundtrack no, of our lives. And we actually don't have a choice. We can't hide it anymore, which I think is one of the silver linings of the pandemic. I want to make sure listeners just heard what you said, which was, that's the soundtrack of our lives. The soundtrack of our lives. And I'm not hiding it anymore. And so my kids might come in. Cool. They'll say hi. Oh my gosh. That picture that you posted of them with their books on LinkedIn. If anybody would like an infusion of adorableness, oh. go to Mita's LinkedIn. Oh my God. They're so cute. Oh, thank they're, you. Their big oh. smiles and their books and their, oh, I love that. <laughs> I, I'm in this phase because my kids are older that you're, and I was not a baby person, but just to be very clear. Yep. Now, all of a sudden I'm like, oh. Good little person. You know, my daughter was like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, you're big, Well, she's not very big. Actually, Aww. she's a very teeny person, but, <laughs> but like, if you're ever, almost- ever up for babysitting post pandemic, they're not that cute right around that time. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the witching hour. That's it is really weird hour. To, have, yeah. to have teenagers because sometimes they'll pop into my, you know, they disappear. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no bedtime ritual. There's me being like, Hey, love you. Do you, do you want to do night night chit chat? Which is what we always used to call it. You know, you you really have to insert yourself and it's a very weird transition that kind of happens. I mean, at least for me, like it happened, it felt quickly. Like I went from being like, Oh my God, just go to bed. to being like, Hey, do you want to like hang out? (laughs) Do you want to go get coffee? I'll have to get some advice from you. Flash, flash forward into the future for me. Just always be there and have them know that you're always there no matter what. And you're going to love them no matter what. That's it. That's always Amazing advice. That's, that's profound. <laughs> love them no matter what, even profound. if they're stinkers. Yes. Which they will be stinkers. <laughs> and I will be a stinker. I would say that's another, like I have good relationships with both my kids. And I do feel like part of it is I decided early on that I wasn't going to act like I got it right when I didn't. Mm-hmm. Like as parents, we are all doing our best all day, every day, just doing our best. And then we mess up. Yes. You know, back to your point. Cause we're humans. Well, that's back to leadership and marketing, right? All around, all around. Yeah. yeah. Owning a hundred percent of your actions. Yes, <laughs> for sure. I ask every guest this final question, which is so inspiration. If we look at the root of the word is about breath to take in breath um, and motivation is about action and taking action. What inspires you and what keeps you motivated to do this work? My kids, all of our kids. I use that really broadly. And so it just inspires me. You think about your students and that class or what I went to inspiring my kids, their friends, my nieces, my nephews, neighbor kids that, yeah, that's the, that's the generation. That's the future. That's why I do this work. Cause I want them to live in a different world than I grew up in. Mita, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here, being willing to have a candid conversation about a topic that is sometimes tricky and for the huge contribution you're making to making marketing and uh, just making it the norm to just say marketing, have that be inclusive and have it be implied. Thank you so much for having me. I want to come back next year. What an awesome conversation. You can come back anytime. Anytime. Okay. Anytime. Anytime. Is there anything that you were hoping I would ask you that I didn't, that you still want to talk about? 
No, I just would love for people to follow me on LinkedIn and continue the conversation there. I love meeting new people. Yes. I we will put all of your contact information there for sure. Everybody should connect with you and follow you. Um, I find inspiration in like everything you post. So thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Listeners, thank you for being here. As always, you know how to get in touch. If you have comments or questions, do good, be well, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Marketing for Good podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about Claxon University, how to make more impact in and for your organization, or hiring me to speak or coach, go to klaxonmarketing.com or reach out at info at klaxonmarketing.com. Again, thanks for listening, and thanks for making our world a better place.